Calling all benders and non-benders alike. Jump into the epic world of Avatar with your favorite podcast, Avatar, Braving the Elements. Hosted by me, Janet Varney. And me, Dante Bosco. Each week we'll recap and discuss a new episode. So come join us and our amazing guests from creators to cast to superfans to chat about all things Avatarverse. It's Fire Nation time. Book of Fire. Let's go. Listen to Avatar Braving the Elements wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Marvel Vision, a podcast about Marvel, the MCU. And right now, She-Hulk, I'm Alex. I'm Justin. And I was waiting for Ad Dime Pete, but Pete is off this week. Not here. He is on vacation in New York City. He's trying to track down Daredevil because he was missing this episode, episode six of She-Hulk, titled (laughs) Just Jen. If you haven't checked it out on Disney+, Plus, please go do. But broad strokes, we got two plots going on here. The first plot is Jen heads to a wedding and gets in all sorts of mix-em-ups there. And on the, I want to say B-plot, but honestly, it was kind of the A-plot, was Nikki and Mallory Book are trying to help out Mr. Immortal through several divorces, and ultimately uncover what might be the big villain of the series. That's our cliffhanger there. But let's, as we always do on the She-Hulk shouting hour, start off talking about how we're feeling about the show. I, I don't know. I constantly feel bad about this. I'm like, oh, I don't want to. I don't want to make people feel bad because they like the show. It seems like generally the internet's enjoying the show, and we're the minority here. That's fine, and that's awesome. Yeah. But. I do think we, we've switched a little bit here, Justin. I think mm-hmm. you were more negative about this episode, and I was – I don't want to say positive. What, what's, what comes between that? Uh, Even less negative? Even less zero? Yeah. You have no opinion? This well, was – I will say – let me start you. off on my faint positive praise of this episode. This is the okay. first episode where I watched and I was like – if somebody comes up after this episode and says that was a fun episode of She-Hulk, I won't side either. Well, <laughs> how about that? How Put about it on that? the DVD box because, because I looked at it and I was like, is... "Sure, this is fine. At least you're actually doing an A plot and a B plot here. We've complained before, or more specifically, I've complained before about when they were like A plot and B plot coming together, and I was like, "No, it did it." And in this episode, they actually had an A plot, actually had a B plot. Ran both of them. I have some quibbles with the way they executed it. But just, I don't know, six episodes in, I guess I'm at the level of like, uh, well, at least they know how to structure a TV show at this point. So good for them. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I hear you on this. Like, And I will say what's nice here is it's defined. Like, Jen has to go to a wedding. And guess what? It's not going to be fun. Um, and then we have the Mr. Immortal stuff in the law office. I like um, Nikki and Mallory together. That was a mm-hmm. nice sort of combo, a nice one-two punch. It does make me – I don't know what Mallory's role here is. They're they're all occupying like Mallory, Jen, when she's together with them. And Nikki's sort of similar areas. Like Mallory's like – she seemed to be she, so, sort of like the like by the book um, like pro, hard-ass pro in the first couple episodes she was in. And in this, she's sort of like – Another Nikki, like a more formal Nikki in a lot of ways here. So I was like, I don't know what her job is in this television program. I did think 
the Mr. Immortal story worked better for me because like him jumping out the window and like all that's fun. And it's, it's smart. Like the idea that he wants to get divorced because he's technically dead, but then he comes back to life. All that is fun. And there's some, some good jokes here. It gets to be a little, it gets to my larger criticism with this show is no one is real. The characters act like all the bridesmaid stuff. I was like, no one is this mean in a way that made me not disconnect with the story and the jokes. I was like, this is wild. But then Jen constantly keeps having to be not having a good time in a not funny way. Mm-hmm. And it, with her at the center of the show, it just makes me upset about it. I I agree with a lot of what you are saying. Why don't we start with the Mr. Immortal one, because I think that's a little easier to talk about, and it gets into some of the theory stuff that we can talk about as well, and then we'll talk about the waiting. Um, I don't want to call you out, but uh, you did say before we came out, I think you used the word lazy a little bit, and that was my feeling about both of these storylines, where my general reaction, I didn't laugh at anything, but I was like, all right, fine. Just, that's good. I'm fine. Like, I am fine with what's going on here. But I couldn't help but think while I was watching it, about how these things could be a little sharper and a little funnier throughout. So you got a great actor. It's David Pesquese is the guy, right? Uh, Dave Pesquese, a famous improv royalty. Uh, TJ and Dave, Chicago institution. They would come to New York and do their sort of slow, long-form improv uh, is their patented thing. When I was coming up through the comedy world uh, with Alex. And so, like, it... It was cool to see him there. And he does a lot. He's been in a couple Mandalorian episodes. But just to I, – lazy isn't quite – I think it's just easy. Everything mm-hmm. feels a little like you're doing the joke that we know. We know this joke. So it doesn't light me up. So, But to get back to it, you have yeah. this actor as a character who I really like for the MCU. Uh, it's a totally different take on it than Mr. Immortal. He's usually trying to be or actually is the leader of the Great Lakes Avengers who are sort of the joke Avengers. He does the same thing, dies and comes back to life. That's his whole power. A lot of the Great Lakes Avengers have powers like that that are like, I don't know how this is useful Not in great. any sort of situation. Yeah. So finding this riff on him, I think that's what the MCU does well, right? Like taking the core of a character and then figuring out how to work it in the story. But I do love the idea that he escapes all of these marriages by just yeah. killing Smart. himself Fun. in elaborate ways and just walking away from it. It also gets into this whole men's rights thing and toxic masculinity thing that the show has been trying to deal with in different ways and like I mentioned a couple of episodes back, I think the internet is doing a lot of the heavy lifting in terms of interpreting that rather than the show on executing that. But just from a thematic level, I think the storyline was one of the most successful in getting towards that, particularly because it played out in a logical and straightforward way over the course of the episode, leading to Nikki figuring out how to give everybody what they want and David Pesquese playing it in a very funny way, not even able to apologize for I think it was like uh, 10 seconds, like he wasn't able to keep it up for 10 yeah. seconds before. Him, him. And the idea that the thing he bums him out the most is having to hold eye contact and say, I'm sorry for 15 seconds. And then he's punished for to have to do it for 20 seconds. And he's mm-hmm. like distraught. And yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I like that. I thought that was fun. Here's one thing I want to throw out to you, though, is and this is where I think it was a little lazy and maybe easy, like you were saying, is this all worked from a legal perspective. But I feel like they forgot the superhuman law part of it, because the fun thing here 
is that he kills himself every time. And they just kind of brush past that. They're like, now nah, you're the same guy. You're faking your identities. When not, I'm not a lawyer. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe there's precedent here. I, I don't think so. But if he literally dies every time, what does that mean for the marriages? Does that actually end the marriages? And they don't plumb in any respect into the idea of what this means for superhuman law. They do right. it for law, but it's as if a guy was skipping out of marriages and that was it. And there's this other level there that doesn't – I don't know. I think that's where you bring Mallory Book in. Like Mallory Book from the comics is exactly what you're saying. She's no nonsense to a fault. She's like – the uber straight man to Jen is kind of like, let's goof around. And Mallory is like, no, (laughs) that's it. And that's the fun bit with her. But here, Renee Elise Goldsberry, who is awesome, is to your point, not doing that. And this was to show how great Nikki was. But I know I'm jumping through a bunch of different points here, but I'm trying to figure out the storyline. This is to show how great Nikki was. We haven't previously seen that Mallory is dismissive of Nikki in any way. So that whole thing seemed relatively unmotivated. If instead we got exploring both of these characters together and having them both show off their strengths, uh, Mallory with understanding superhuman law and figuring out like how to make this work with Mr. Immortal continually dying, Nikki eventually doing exactly what she does, working with people and being a people person – that would have worked a lot better to me. Instead, it felt one-sided. Well, and let me throw this out there, because if we were saying, uh, because I agree with you, if we were staying firm to Mallory's character, technically the law is probably on Mr. Immortal's side. A Mm -hmm. a marriage uh, legally ends at death. And if he can prove that he's legally dead, um, then whatever that was agreed to in the marriage, if they had a prenuptial agreement or, uh, or or whatever, that would sort of stand firm. So the way that this plays out feels like it is sort of the law is ignored in a way uh, because they feel like, well, they want to side with the women because they agree with their that, that this guy's a scumbag. And like I, I would have loved it if Mallory felt like she had to represent their client and try to serve his interest, and Nikki went went rogue. Then it started servicing both of their characters and also creating more, way more tension. Like when they both have their huddle and they're like, "Yo, fuck this guy!" And I was like, "What? That's not. That's like it's a strange uh, thing." And like I understand that sort of we champion that choice from a moral point of view, but I think we need the the tension of the law versus Nikki's actual take and having Nikki almost beat Mallory at the end because she does the right thing and makes everyone happy. That to me is a better, more satisfying story. Instead Mm -hmm. of it's a little mushy because everyone's sort of in the middle and it's like, we get some jokes and then we're out. Yeah, totally agree with that. The other part of the storyline, of course, is we find out that Mr. Immortal is on a forum called the Intelligentsia, and there's a tease that they are tied to something bigger in terms of getting She-Hulk's blood. They seem to be the people that hired the Wrecking Crew a couple of episodes back or are working with the Wrecking Crew in some sense. So there's a whole tie going on there. Now, we know this from the comics, People listening may or may not know this, but there is a group called Intelligentsia, which is kind of a Hulk revenge squad. They're a bunch of super smart characters. I believe it was created by Jeff Parker, if I remember correctly. Mm, And there's a bunch of different folks on there, including Red Ghost, the guy who controls monkeys. Yeah, uh, Ed can don't know if we'll see him. Yeah, not not one hundred percent sure, but I guess it's possible. And a few and uh, the uh, Mad Thinker who potentially could show up because the Mad Thinker's creation, Awesome Andy, 
is a very big part of Dan Slott's run in particular on She-Hulk. But I think more likely, given the MCU, there are two members that could show up here. One that still feels like a little bit of a stretch is MODOK is a member there. And we know from people who've seen footage from the trailer, MODOK is going to show up in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantum Mania. However, the rumor is that this version of MODOK is Corey Stoll, who is Yellow Jacket in the first Ant-Man movie, who had his head all weirdly distended by living in the quantum realm. So I guess we'll see if that times it in that way. Much more likely, and I'm willing to bet the farm on this one, is it's probably the leader. We know, yeah, Tim Blake Nelson is coming back for Captain America and New World Order. He's going to be the villain there. We've talked about that before. I think we speculated that the leader might be the villain in the background from probably the second or third episode of the show, because it just kind of makes sense as they continue on this incredible Hulk reclamation project. So... Yeah, that's that's my big theory there. The leader is probably behind this. How we'll see him, when we'll see him, I guess, TBD. As soon as I saw Intelligentsia, I was like, oh, we're seeing the leader in this show. Yeah. Uh, feels like a natural uh, track, and it it makes a lot of sense um, that oh, we would see— Oh, did your leader alarm just go off? Yeah, I know. I can't say his name three times or else he shows up in my life. Classic Beetlejuice. Uh, yeah, he's, it's a classic Beetlejuice sitch. Um, I think that— um, since we we already know contractually through the entertainment news that he's going to be around, it just makes too much sense to have him here. Absolutely. And I will say this episode, the way that they frame it up as this toxic fanboy incel website type thing. We were talking a little bit about how the leader could show up in Captain America New World Order. I think on our episode, we were talking through D23 a little bit. And that makes a little more sense to me. Yep. That feels like it connects a little more if they're going to do this whole toxic fan culture, toxic masculinity. There's a recent run on Wonder Woman where Dr. Mm. Psycho, Dr. Sisko did a very similar thing. And I feel like the leader could inhabit a similar world to that, basically yep. not believing this stuff, but using incels to manipulate things in his favor so he could take over the world or research things or whatever it is. Um, so uh, I, I'm excited about seeing that play out, even though I've been very negative about the show. Love Ting Blake Nelson, love the character of the leader, and having him as a leader of a bunch of incels versus She-Hulk, who they really have trying to push feminist ideals here, I think makes a lot of sense. Agreed. Speaking of She-Hulk, uh, do we have? I guess we should cover. Her oh, does she in the show as well? She is in, is in okay. uh, a little bit of this show. Just Jen. There were too many things going on in the storyline, but bef- well, be- yeah. Before we get to that, though, I do want to mention one thing, which again I think is like the sloppy writing on this show sometimes that drives me up the wall. I mentioned the A and B plot thing where. It wasn't the A and B plot coming together. I mentioned a couple of episodes back and too many times about her calling it a lawyer show when at that point it mostly was not a lawyer show. Eventually it has become kind of a lawyer show, but mostly yeah. not with the She-Hulk uh, doing law. Yeah. Uh, but there's a thing at the beginning of this episode after they introduce she's going to the wedding of her best friend um, where she says, yes, this is a self-contained wedding episode. I know it's coming at a very inconvenient time, but I'm going <laughs> to look great. And – a lot of people have taken that as commenting on the fact that they teased Daredevil the last episode, and then he didn't show up in this episode, which is totally fine. My issue is calling it a self-contained wedding episode when it's not. 
Yeah, oh, it definitely wasn't. And I would, the Daredevil thing may be true, but to me it felt like, I know this is a weird time for this episode because you expect some sort of rising dramatic tension happening here. And that to me is what I felt more lacking for for, for the season as, as a thing because we saw um, Titania back here, but that felt resolved quickly in a way where I don't find her to be a big threat to Jen. Like in the fight, they barely fight and then she runs away defeated because her veneers were cracked. And I, I don't know. I, I guess I just don't know what we're doing with Jen. She, um, as a character, she's just brutally uh, harangued by all these people at the wedding to the point where I was like, a no normal person would tolerate this level of mean. And I don't understand if there's a point to that. I just want to see it. Is it about her disassociating between the She-Hulk personality and when she's Jen, she just takes punishment from other people. When she's She-Hulk, she has all the confidence in the world. If that's the case, and I suspect that may be the case, and maybe what we're getting to as like the, her version of the Hulk weakness, um, having two personalities. But I just I want to see it being confidently shown like here is the point of this instead we just watch our main character get just savaged Mm -hmm. by these people and that with no response to be like okay i'll go dry clean all the shirts i so i I agree with a lot of that i think my biggest problem with the storyline was so many different things going on at the same time that none of them got the proper amount of time for the focus like the idea that she goes to her friend's wedding I, I guess I'm fine with like all the awkward wedding stuff. That to me is like bargain basement sitcom fodder. It's the same thing as like the dating stuff a couple of episodes back where I was like, I could, I could watch this anywhere. I don't need to see this in a Marvel show because I have seen this on 1 million sitcoms. Same thing with the guy who kind of likes her at the wedding, who you know nothing about. And I don't want to get into like, this show doesn't know how to write men, but I think the show either purposefully through choosing to make the bed as broad as possible or whatever, but him, we didn't see him doing anything. He showed up twice yeah. and was this romantic interest, I guess, but didn't offer anything original or exciting or different. The Titania stuff to me, that's the thing, again, like the other storyline where it felt like they didn't care as much about the superhero part of things. That's the superhero part of things. That's the part that makes this interesting and different from other comedies and other TV shows and other sitcoms. Having Titania come in, show up at the beginning and be, and Jen immediately be like, she's here to drive me crazy. And then you have all this stuff that happens in the middle. And at the end, Titania is like, that's right. I drove you crazy when she hasn't been on screen for, I want to say, 20 minutes at this point or something like that yeah. is nonsense. Instead... Yeah. Do that. Like, do that thing. Have, have it Jen be that thing. Be like, I'm a little awkward at this wedding. I have not really good friends with these people anymore. I don't have a date. I feel a little bad about that. And then into that comes Titania, who is proceeds to drive her nuts over the course of the episode leading into this big fight. That makes sense to me. Having yeah. it execute the way it does is, it's nothing. It's like, there's nothing to hold on to there. Yeah, and I agree. Whether or not it's intentional to have the the men be sort of um, like veneers, um, almost of of humans of men, fine. But like, I, it, you don't. I don't know what Jen's take is. Again, like, I, does she find because she seems interested in this guy for a portion mm-hmm. of it, 
And so I'm like, oh, I want to be interested in him. But he does, like you're saying, he does nothing. So I'm like, does that makes me then re- jump back, retreat to the idea, does Jen have bad taste? And if so, what does that mean? Uh, but instead, it, it just sort of gets all washed. And I have a, actually a wedding question. And um, mm-hmm. maybe this is... I've got to Go ahead. Yeah. Great, great. Um, in their fight... Titania shows up and she's wearing the same color of as the bridesmaids, but she's not a bridesmaid. Right. That's not normal, right? You don't go to a wedding and they're like, everyone wear peach. No, that is something you don't do. I wonder if the joke there is, of course, Titania would do that. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. To me, I was like, oh, they just that just was a, a choice that wasn't sort of thought through. Because to me, I, I was like, she should be wearing something super ostentatious mm-hmm. that is trying to take attention away from Jen or or just like something. There, there was just no connection there. <laughs> like after. And this goes to the wobbliness that we're talking about after her coming in as She-Hulk, looking great, everybody being like, oh, my God, She-Hulk. And then the woman who's getting married, played by Patty Guggenheim, who is very funny, um, is like, I don't want She-Hulk to be at my wedding. Play off of that. Play Jen is now very uncomfortable, doesn't know what to wear, doesn't feel great, doesn't look great. Titania comes in with the bridesmaid's colors is not a bridesmaid. And immediately the bride is like, oh my God, Titania, I love her. And Jen points out, she's wearing the same color. She's doing the same thing that I just did. Yeah. That's how you play off of that. Another way, make it like a farce where Jen has to be Jen when she's at the with the bride, but it has to be She-Hulk to fight Titania any other time. Then it's like a great runaround with, and then Jen has power in it because she's mm-hmm. making choices. Instead, she just gets stuck not making any choices here, and it bummed me out. Can I throw out one other thing, which we talked a lot about the last episode when Pete was here, was I I also didn't pick up on the Daredevil thing that the internet did. For me, and this wasn't the specific thing, but like we set up that she was getting a superhero costume, she was getting better clothes for this <laughs> tailor, and that we didn't see it this episode? Why are you holding off on She-Hulk's costume? In a She-Hulk show. Like, this is not... uh, I don't like this trope anyway of waiting until the last episode to put the hero in the whole thing. But at least with Miss Marvel, it was like, I'm a regular New Jersey teen. We're slowly building it up. So at least there's an excuse here. This is... She's green for the first episode, man. Just put her in a costume and go... Like, there's not even a costume for She-Hulk. She just wears clothes that stretch. And to that point, the fact that she got a tailor who there was a whole plot line the last episode about, I'm going to sometimes need to be She-Hulk, sometimes need to be Jed. I need one outfit for both of those things. They specifically point out that this tailor made a dress for her wedding. The dress looks great on her when she's She-Hulk and very purposefully is frumpy and loose when she's Jen. He wouldn't do that. That doesn't make any sense. Well, and that's why I would I would argue I bet this episode I bet this was in, at a diff earlier in the season uh, or planned to be that way and then it, it shifted because it, it just doesn't make sense uh, it, to introduce Daredevil and an outfit and see neither in this episode as like what she says is sort of a bottle episode in a weird way but it's just weird to skip over that from any sort of dramatic point of view. Very strange, strange stuff. Uh, that's why I loved this episode. Well, that's why I, I don't want to like <laughs> tune in. That's not, I'm trying to talk about this in a way where I'm like trying to see through it a little bit because mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not here to just be like this is bad. Uh, bring me something new. Um, 
Marvel cup bearer. I, I like, I want this to be great. I love mm-hmm. the She-Hulk uh, runs that are the inspiration for this uh, show. And um, I think all, a lot of the actors are great and the elements are there. It's just they, they're coming together in a way where I'm like, oh, that's why it's even more frustrating. It's so close, but it's not there. One more example. The Mr. Immortal story. Another way to make him pop more. He he is breaking up with his marriages out of and his solution is to run away and die. Then in later he jumps out of the loft when he's talking to Mallory and Nikki to get out of that. So he's the comedic heightening of that is less and less important relationships he's bailing on because it's easier. I want one last scene, a post-credit scene, which we again don't get here. Yeah. Of Mr. Immortal being like uh, someone gets his name wrong at Starbucks on the coffee cup and that causes him to run mm-hmm. and kill himself. Like that's a comedic payoff of like of that. And instead we get nothing. We get none of that. And they, the opportunity was right there. It costed. That's an extra like, you know, four hours of your day to shoot that scene. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. I again, I'm glad so many people are enjoying it. Please go enjoy your thing that we are yes. necessarily enjoying. And thank you for paying attention through all of our shouting and complaining about this. But like you said, Justin, from our perspective, we want it to be better. We want it to be stronger. And frankly, it's frustrating for me when I watch other comedies now because I'm like, oh, right. People do actually know how to make comedies. Like I got into a conversation the other day with somebody about what we do in the shadows, which obviously that's a very high standard to hold anything to. But when you're talking about something else that has supernatural elements or super elements, in a comedy that does balance this stuff perfectly where you have character arcs, you have emotion, you have comedy, you have all of these things running at the same time. You have low stakes, high stakes, et cetera, et cetera. And that we're six episodes in here. And like I've said a million times, still figuring out how comedy shows work is very frustrating to watch. So that all said, why don't we move to our vision board and talk about what we want to see the next episode other than enjoying it. Justin, over to you. (laughs) Well, from a plot point of view, I think um, I like I think having more of this rising tension and and drama of whatever the, the main getting to the main villain, something we talked about. Now we know that Titania is probably not the main villain. Um, Wrecking Crew is maybe working for the main villain. So we are going to get somewhere with that. Having some some stress may like sort of snap the focus in on the show a little bit where it will feel like it's building towards something and and not um, having Jen sort of just left in the wind in different situations. Second, like I want to just feel like I understand Jen and I'm in her corner rather than feeling bad for her or not understanding why she's doing things. And again, giving her a strong directive. One thing we didn't talk about, what I thought was strange, she gets wasted in this episode to deal with her problems, which I was like, you know, this is sort of a kid's show. Like, I mean, I'm by no means like I drink plenty uh, (laughs) in my life, but I was like, this is a weird message that she's struggling. And so she gets drunk and makes sort of bad choices. It gets in a fight. You're the I hero mean, of the show. I had less of a problem with that because I think that's wedding behavior. Somebody always gets 100%. wasted at the wedding, dances by themselves. And that to me was the most fun part of the episode. Just Tatiana Maslany having was a good fun. time dancing. And her could not being able to turn into she because she's too drunk. I thought that was very fun too. Yeah. But it just was weird because in an episode where Jen didn't make any decisions about anything for her own benefit. The one thing she did decide to do was to, to 
get wasted. And I was like, mm. just a little, maybe I'm being too much of a dad here, but it felt just a little wobbly from a character point of view for me. My kids have started watching She-Hulk and also started getting wasted. So I don't know. Well, as long as you're, uh, I mean, I can't wait to, to drink with my kids, but I'm probably going to wait until they're a little older. Mm-hmm. Nice. I am looking forward to what am I looking forward to? A drink, a drink, a cocktail. Yes. <laughs> a cocktail. Uh, I, I'm looking forward to villain reveal or something reveal. Stop playing coy with stuff. We're watching She Hulk. The rest of the show is very much not coy, so there's no reason to play coy with the costumes. There's <laughs> yes. no reason to play coy with Daredevil or the villain or anything like that. Like. Just bring it on. We have three episodes left. Let's let's get to it. I would love to be enjoying this by the end of the season. Are we going to get a romantic relationship between Daredevil and She-Hulk? Um, or I don't know. Ja- anyway? Um, maybe. I'm curious about that. That's a thought I had because, yeah. Yeah. I guess we'll see what maybe. happens. I, I, they both, they're both very romantically inclined, so it definitely could happen. But I think they'll, I think they'll keep it all business. Yeah. If you would like to support this podcast, patreon.com slash comic book club. Also, we do a live show every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. to Crowdcast on YouTube. Come hang out. We would love to chat with you about She-Hulk. Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, or the app of your choice to subscribe, listen, and follow the show at Comic Book Live on Twitter. Also at Marvel Vision Pod on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, comicbookclublive.com for this podcast and many more. Until next time, stay marvelous. Stay lightly drunk. 